I was 36 years old at the time, wife and four kids. I was playing in this game and I got tackled on my side. And when I got up, couldn't really walk, didn't know what was going on. I felt kind of paralyzed. So they called the ambulance, took me off the field and took me to the hospital. They throw me right into a CAT scan. Listen, Adam, we found a, a softball size tumor that was connected to your kidney. Did you know that that was there? And I said, no, I had no clue that that was there. And they, went, they did some testing and they found out it was actually 95% cancer. They removed my kidney, they removed the softball size tumor, and they said they got everything out of there, which was a big relief for us. So a month goes by, and in January of 2016, uh, we did a PET scan, and then uh, we sat down with the doctor afterwards to get the results. And this is when he looked right at us, and he said, well, the unfortunate has happened. The cancer has spread across your stomach area, up into your lymph nodes, and even up into your lungs. He said you had stage four kidney cancer. And because it was moving so aggressively that there was no chemo, no radiation, uh, no more surgeries or anything that could be done to stop this thing or to slow it down. He says, well, unfortunately you only have months to live, but this is gonna take your life. I didn't know what to do. So I reached out to my church family. I reached out to family and friends. I reached out to people on Facebook, just anyone that I knew or anyone that would listen and pray for our family and pray for me uh, because I knew the power of prayer. I've seen it work in people's lives. And I, I, I just, that's the only thing I knew to do is just go to prayer. But as months were going, my health was getting worse. I got to a point where I had a cane. I was down to 140 pounds and I could barely get out of bed. I could barely walk. The cancer was growing. Every scan after scan just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And it came down to the point um, where the doctor sat down and said, listen, you need to prepare your funeral. You need to spend your time with your kids because you're coming down to the end here. I remember this morning in April uh, 2016, it was April 15th. I woke up that morning. I remember getting out and I didn't really need my cane. I kind of felt different that morning. I don't know exactly what was happening, but I, I didn't feel pain. And I kept telling Danielle, I'm like, this just feels different right now. So we go down to the Hillman Center and I'm telling the doctor this. And so finally we talked him into doing another scan. So he does a scan and it takes him an hour to come back in the room. And he, he says, Adam, I've been looking at your scans for the last hour with the radiologist, with a couple other doctors, and we've been comparing your last month's scan to this month's scan. And he says, I can't find 80% of your cancer. He's like, I can't find it. He's like, in areas where it was there in your lungs, it's not there. And then your lymph nodes, it's not there anymore. Areas where it was the size of a quarter, it's down to the size of an M&M now. And I'm like, wait, what? He's like, I, you're getting better. Like the cancer is going away in your body. And I'm just sitting there just like in awe for a second going, is this real? You read about miracles in the Bible, you, you see miracles in people's lives, but when it actually happens to you, is this really happening? The Lord is healing me. And so 80% of my cancer was gone. My health started to get better. Every month, it just started to get better. I lost the cane, I started to gain weight back. It took about a year from April 2016 to April 2017. It was April 5th. I get a scan, I get the results back, and they said, you are 100% cancer-free. The doctor says that I have all these scar tissues in the area where the cancer was. It almost looked like something went in there and just removed it itself, 
And now I have all these little areas where it's just scarred and that are healing now. And so it was just mind blowing that all of this that happened, seeing God move through that was just a complete miracle. And the doctors are completely stunned. I still talk to these doctors and nurses and they said they've never seen anything like this with this type of cancer before. And so it was just a complete miracle of God. And it was amazing healing. And uh, it's really exciting to be able to truly say, I will see Jesus one day, but not yet. A miracle is an unusual manifestation of God's power designed to accomplish a specific purpose. And Adam's here today over in this area. Adam, would you stand? And let's just thank God for what he's done in Adam's life. If you take miracles out of the scripture, you are left with a very wise but a very weak Jesus. And this is the Jesus that many people follow. He's kind, he's compassionate, he's wise, but he's not powerful. And we follow his teachings a lot of our life, but we don't experience his miracles. And this doesn't just fall short of the standard that God sets for us. It completely misses the point altogether. And he invites us to be part of the miracle. He invites us to experience his power. And that's what this whole series has been about. For the last several weeks, we've been looking at the seven miracles in the Gospel of John, and it has been powerful. And so if you have missed any of these weeks, you can catch up on the podcast on our website. You can see the videos that we've shown every week on our Facebook page. Adam is one of the several other stories that we shared throughout this series. And I'm believing that God is going to continue to give us stories of miracles that we're going to be able to share these videos every series <laughs> because God is just going to keep showing up in his power as we trust him for it and as we begin to understand more of who he is. So if you remember, um, there was a challenge attached to the series, a challenge that I asked each of you to really take to heart. And this challenge was to bring one person to experience the presence of God during the miracle series. And we asked the youth to do this. We asked the kids to do it. That's why they built a cow that they're milking right now uh, so that teenagers had leverage, I guess, to invite their friends to church. Um, in the kids section, they got donuts and juice um, if they brought a friend in the VIP section. And we really challenged all generations across the board to do this. And we've had a great response. And I just want to encourage you, if you have not invited someone yet Next week is your week. <laughs> Next week is your week. As Pastor Daniel talked about, um, we're going to have free breakfast and, and chicks and bunnies to pet and a train in the gym and things like that. But the idea is this. God is a miracle-working God. And he wants to meet each of us in very specific and personal ways. So I want to encourage you next week, don't come to church alone. Reach out, extend the invitation, don't give up too easily. Thank God he didn't give up easily on us. And ask those friends and those family and those neighbors who need to experience and see the presence of God. So if you're here for the first time today, maybe it's because someone invited you because they heard that part of the message in the last weeks. And I want you to know we're so glad you're here, that you are deeply, deeply loved. In fact, you're loved so much that God put you on the heart of your friend or your family member 
that God brought you to mind today because he wants you to know that he knows your name and he has his eye on you and he has never forgotten you. And so we're so glad you're here. And like Daniel mentioned, we're gonna have pizza in celebration of you in the hospitality room. So stop by on your way out. And so today we're gonna look at two miracles in the Gospel of John, the last two um, that we're gonna look at in this series. And the first is the healing of a man born blind, and the the second is the incredible story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. So buckle up, (laughs) because today uh, you can't even preach this without God's power showing, and I expect just a little bit of excitement, okay? Let me just tell you my expectations ahead of time. Um, (laughs) Or check your pulse, okay? So one of the reasons that I believe the Bible, one of the reasons I love the Bible is because it deals with hard issues in life. It doesn't sweep painful things under the rug or complex things or controversial things. It doesn't say, we're going to talk about these things that make sense, but we're not going to talk about those things that make sense. In fact, uh, like some of us, Jesus sometimes went out of his way to create controversy with the Pharisees. He went out of his way to create controversy so that the more, more truth about himself would be exposed that the unbelief would be diminished. And so we kind of see that in this particular miracle. So we're going to look in John 9, 1, and it says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So it's interesting because as soon as Jesus starts paying attention to this blind man, um, the, the, the disciples ask for an explanation of his blindness, In front of him. I think that not only was that not very compassionate, it was kind of rude, okay? It was kind of rude. Almost as if they're talking about him in third person. Like, here's exhibit A. Oh, Jesus, so why was he blind? And Jesus is probably going, oh, my goodness. This man whose heart is aching because of of this pain that he has that he can't see anything, and the disciples want to know what the cause is. And it's interesting because Jesus answers their question, but he doesn't answer it in the categories that they're using. So let's see what he says in John 9, 3 through 4. He says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. Quit being rude. (laughs) But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I am am in the world, I am the light of the world. And the disciples want to know the cause. They're asking questions about the cause. Why do bad things happen to people? Why, why, there must be a reason that this guy was born blind and other people weren't. What caused his blindness? Was it a generational curse? Is it some kind of hidden sin that no one knows about? Is it this lack of faith? And, and these are complex questions. They're difficult issues. There are things we ask ourselves now at times. Perhaps even Adam asked that question, why, why me? Why, why the cancer in me, God, of all the people that could get it? We ask these questions. Is it something I've done wrong? Is it some kind of generational curse? What is it? And Jesus so wisely, in the answer, he changes the question. He says, he, he gives them an answer not regarding the cause, but regarding the purpose. And instead of answering the how question, He answers the why question. And he says it's not about who sinned. You're asking the wrong question. The pain has been allowed in this man's life 
so that the works of God may be displayed in him. You're asking the wrong question. Sometimes we ask God the wrong questions. And we need to ask him about the purpose of things, not the cause. We need to ask him about the purpose in our pain, not the cause of our pain. Because that is much more the point. And the scripture shows us that God will answer you, but sometimes it will be in ways that silence your question. Sometimes it'll be in ways that gives you even a bigger and more and deeper understanding of why you are going through the thing that you are. And so in John 9, 6, it goes on, and, and it says, After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So why did Jesus use mud? Why did Jesus use mud to do this? And, and maybe he was reminding us of his creator Genesis power. You know, kind of like when you make something out of Play-Doh and the arm isn't quite right, you just squish it and remake it out of Play-Doh. Right? It's the same, it's the same thing. It's the same consistency. Perhaps he's saying, listen, I formed you from the dust of the earth. And so I can spit on the dust and put it in my my saliva and put it on your eyes and it will heal what is intended to be fullness. Maybe that's what he was saying, that the one who created everything in the first place is the one who can recreate it all with just mud and spit. But we also know that there's another reason that Jesus may have used the mud. When you skip down to verses uh, 13 and 14, you can see that this miracle happened on the Sabbath. It tells us the day it happened. It happened on the Sabbath. And this is important because the Pharisees had developed a very strict set of rules against working on the Sabbath. So you weren't allowed to do a lot of things. You weren't allowed to wash wool. You weren't allowed to build anything. Um, I thought this one was interesting. You weren't allowed to, to weave two threads, but then you also weren't allowed to unweave the two threads. So people must have been in trouble. Whoops, whoops, you know, like I, I, I'm still working, I'm undoing it, you know, having this, this kind of stress. Well, one example is kneading dough for bread was considered work. You could not make bread on the Sabbath or you'd be breaking the law. And actually that word for mud is also the word for clay. It's the word for dough. And so Jesus had broken the law against kneading dough or mud on the Sabbath. So by him uh, making the, the, the mud, the spit in the, in the dirt, that was actually breaking the law. So why would Jesus do this? In other miracles, he just put his hand on people. Uh, he, in other miracles, he just said the words. He didn't need the mud. So why did he choose to break the rules for this miracle? Well, Jesus wanted to show the Pharisees that he came to be the Sabbath. That the rules of the Sabbath weren't ever going to be enough. That if they followed all of those rules, that wasn't going to get them into a relationship with him. In Matthew 12, 8, he says it so clearly. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's saying the point of the Sabbath is rest. And when you rest, you heal. That's why you rest. And the point of the Sabbath rest is that we are helpless But God creates and he sustains and he heals and he can do what only he can do. And following all the rules will not get us to that healing, but being in his presence will. And so God says, I'm going to break the rules to redefine the rules. 
And the miracle was intentionally supposed to trigger controversy. And that controversy goes on for 41 verses in John 9. And and they're talking about it, and their hearts are exposed, and, and then their hearts are shaped in the tension. And this blind man becomes clearer and clearer about who Jesus really is that he is the Messiah, that he has fulfilled all of the law, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He becomes stronger and stronger in his courage in defending Jesus against very dangerous adversaries. At one point, um, he, he accounts to his parents, he accounts to the Pharisees. They all say, what happened to you? And he, he continues to say, I was blind, now I see. That's what happened. I met the Lord of the Sabbath. I met the God over all creation, the one who created everything and can recreate it. I met him, and that is what happened. And what's so amazing about this is this is what Jesus was after with this miracle. He wanted this man to have a clear sight of who he was, not just physically, but spiritually. He wanted him to understand very clearly and to everyone that was watching as he mixed up the mud and broke the rules that I've come to bring life and bring it to the full. So we see uh, the, things are really heating up for Jesus, okay? He, he's created controversy. He uh, is healing on the Sabbath. He's doing these different things. He's creating controversy. And in John chapter 10, as we progress through this gospel, the crowds in Jerusalem um, had actually picked up stones, and they were ready to kill Jesus. They were angry. He was threatening everything that they knew to be familiar and comfortable with what they understood about God and about Jewish law. And actually, the scripture says they tried to arrest him, but he escapes. And he crosses the Jordan River, and he's just trying to lay low. And in John 11, that's what he's doing. He's just trying to escape from from the controversy he had just created. He's trying to regroup. He's trying to lay low. And he gets word from his friends Mary and Martha, they send a message to Jesus that their brother Lazarus is very sick. And he gets this word, and and actually the word that the scripture says comes to him is, the one you love is sick. And so we know that that relationship was very, very close. And so we see in John 11, 4 through 7, what happens when Jesus gets this word. When he heard this, Jesus said, "This, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Okay, these verses are baffling. Um, First, Jesus says, uh, Lazarus isn't going to die when we all know that he does die for four days. <laughs> and, and it looks like he's going to die. But he declares out loud, nope, Jesus isn't gonna, or Lazarus isn't going to die. Um, this is for God's glory. And then he hears his friend is sick. He loves these women deeply. He's completely moved by this. And he just decides to stay put. Has anyone ever questioned that? <laughs> when you read that. Okay, Jesus, what is going on? We know Jesus can walk on water. He could have teleported and been there in a nanosecond. But instead, he sits tight for a couple days. you got to scratch your head when you read this passage. 
that creates controversy in me. <laughs> Jesus, what are you doing? Go! Get, go! My girls, when they watch movies, and they've seen them over and over and over, you know, uh, something's about to happen, and they say, don't go through that door! You know, they yell at the movie. Run as fast as you can, he's coming! Because <laughs> you can see the end. And that's like what I feel in this passage. Jesus, go, he's gonna die! You must know this, and he sits tight. And it begs the question, so what's happening here? What is actually happening? Because it can't be just that Jesus is aloof to this. And what is happening is Jesus is setting up the miracle. He's teeing it up. Because you cannot resurrect what hasn't died. And so Jesus waits two days so that he can go reveal more of his power. It's all part of his calculated plan. He has shown the people, I can turn water into wine. I can heal a child with a fever just with a few words from a distance. I can heal a man who sat by a pool for 38 years just by saying, pick up your mat and walk. I can feed 5,000 people uh, with just a little bit of lunch. I can walk on water and calm a storm. I can heal a blind man with mud. I just did that. But he hasn't yet shown the people that he can bring the dead back to life. And now is the time. The seventh miracle in the Gospel of John shows the true identity of Jesus, the full identity. And he saves the boldest claim for last. He wants us to know, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I've walked on water. I've healed people. But that's just a small part of who I am. I am the resurrection and I am the life. And so Jesus goes and he finds Lazarus already in the tomb for four days. That does not surprise him. And three different people confront Jesus by questioning his love for Lazarus. This doesn't look like love, Jesus. How, how could Jesus' delay in meeting his friend's needs be loving? How could that be very loving? You, you, you didn't even come when I asked you. Martha, in verse 20 and 21, says to Jesus, Lord, straight up, she, I love this woman, she looks at Jesus Christ in the face and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then Mary, later in verse 32, she falls at his feet. She says the exact same thing. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. What were you doing? And in verses 36 and 37, the mourners are there, the people, and they question could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? They just don't understand it. They're, they're frustrated. They're sad. They're hurt. They want to trust Jesus. They've seen what he does, but they just don't feel like they can anymore. And as I was writing this message and thinking about this context... I just wonder if today there's some of you in this room that can relate. You've watched the miracle videos. You've, maybe even today, you've seen Adam's story and, and you're sitting in the pew with cancer. Or, or maybe, um, maybe you have asked God for something and you even expected it. You had all of this hope and anticipation and, and you can't understand why he didn't deliver on it. You can't understand why he is not coming. And Jesus, he chose to love Lazarus and his sisters by not coming immediately. And, and 
as hard as it is to understand, his love was actually in the not coming. His love was in the delay. His love was in the not coming because he was setting up the miracle. Now, I can't explain all the reasons why God doesn't come in the way that you expect him to or in the way he asks him to. But I do believe what we can learn from this scripture is maybe his not coming is the setup. Maybe his not coming is the setup for the miracle in your life. And in this case, it was more loving to put Lazarus through death and his sisters through grief if that would reveal more of God's glory to them and more of the glory of Christ. Jesus loves us by showing us himself and he will do what it takes. And we cannot question his method. We cannot question his method. So Jesus, he goes to the tomb of Lazarus and in John eleven thirty five, 35, we see this short but striking verse that says these two words, Jesus wept. Say it to the person next to you. You just memorized scripture this morning. Go ahead. Good job. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. Now in that culture, there were seven days of deep mourning. That's the custom. There were 30 days of soft mourning. That was, that was the custom of the day. And so Jesus shows up in the middle of the deepest sorrow. He shows up on the fourth day of the seven, and he shows up in the middle of the deepest sorrow, and he grieves with them that day. Now, what I find so interesting is Jesus is the one they're blaming why the miracle hasn't happened, and Jesus has enough courage and boldness to walk right in the middle of their grief. And he doesn't try to explain it, and he doesn't try to give them something to, to make them feel better. It says what happens, the Greek word verb tense suggests that Jesus simply bursts into tears. That he just loses it. Because he loved Lazarus so much. And I got to thinking, Jesus was not weeping because he had no faith. He, he wasn't grieving that, that he died. I mean, He's about to experience a miracle of, of divine proportions. Okay, Jesus knows he's going to call him out of the tomb. He's not conflicted or confused about that. But he was so full of love for Lazarus and the women that I really believe he wept with those who were weeping. And in those tears, we see that God does not stand aloof to the pains of our existence. That, that he has drawn near, that he has not called us to, to humanity that, that he himself is unwilling to take, that he, he will never abandon the world into which he was unwilling to enter, that he says, listen, I will come in, I will be part of your grief, I, I will weep with you. And if you're healing up from the loss of a loved one today, I, I just want to encourage you that you can be sure that Jesus wants to be the shoulder you can cry on. He wants to be the person that you can look square in the face and say, why didn't you do that miracle? And then he wants to hold you in his arms and weep with you because he has entered into our humanity and he understands that pain. So let's see what happens here in John eleven forty one through 44. Um, so he shows up at the tomb. He cries with Mary and Martha and the mourners. And, and then it says, so they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up. And said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always would hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you have sent me. 
And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You can clap right here for God. And these six miracles before this one, they had established Jesus' credibility. He had revealed his mastery over everything. He could calm nature. He can heal humanity. He can drive out demons. But the risk that he took, you know, if Lazarus didn't walk out of that tomb when he called him, his credibility would have been out the window. The stakes could not have been higher. But Jesus shows once again that he is the miracle worker, that he is the way maker, and that even death is not the final word. That even death is not the final word. And not only can we trust him um, for preventative faith, that he can keep things from happening. We can pray hedges of protection. We can pray, God, keep us safe, keep us well, keep us healthy. We can pray those things. But we can also trust Jesus with resurrection faith. That says, you know, God, you can actually undo what's been done. That things that are dead, you can now raise to life. Dreams that have died, relationships that have dead, things that we feel like are dead in our lives, you can raise back to life. God can make the impossible possible. And Lazarus hops out of the tomb. I read an author once that described this, and, and I thought this was interesting. He said, you know, grave clothes, you're basically mummified. So when they say, Lazarus, come out, he probably hopped out. <laughs> like, <laughs> he probably hopped right out of that tomb. He didn't walk. And then they took the grave clothes off. And can you imagine the moment that Mary, Martha, and Jesus, and Lazarus had? He's restored. The women have their brother back, and Jesus has his friend back. And so Jesus reveals sort of who he is. He hadn't revealed this yet. And this revelation, though, we have to remember, this revelation, it was all happy, all exciting for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But this revelation came with a price for Jesus. I believe that Jesus knew the sacrifice. He knew the risk that it would be to raise Lazarus from the dead. It was calculated. He knew that calling Lazarus out of the tomb would, would take a, a different kind of resolve for Jesus than we might have imagined because giving Lazarus life was sealing Jesus' own death. Because we see really quickly that the seventh miracle caused this to happen in John 11, 45 through 48. All of a sudden, they plotted to kill Jesus with this miracle. And he, the minute he does this, he takes one step closer to the crucifixion. So I'm going to have the worship team come back up. I'm going to ask you to stand as we close this series. Now next Sunday, we're going to look at the greatest and chief miracle of all. We've looked at seven really incredible ones in this series. Next week, we're going to look at the greatest and chief miracle of all, when Jesus died on a cross and rose again in three days to live and reign forever. And as we finish up this miracle series, as we're about, to, we're about to sing the song that just declares, we learned this song in the series, we're going to sing it to end it, um, that this is a move, that, that God is still doing things, that he is still working in our lives. Um, but as we finish up this series, I really want to just encourage you to not miss the greatest miracle of all. And that miracle is that Jesus Christ wants relationship with us.
and that we can have it today. We can have it right now. And in so many ways, it's a, it's a, it's a metaphoric Lazarus coming out of the grave. We're dead. We're dead on the inside. But God says, I want you to come out of that tomb. I want you to come out of that grave and live again. And you can do that today. You can do that right now. That miracle is so close to your fingertips. All it needs is for you to ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of the way you have resisted him, to forgive you of the way you have sinned, and ask Christ to come into your heart and life. There's no paperwork. There's no prerequisite classes. There's nothing you have to do to make sure that that God's going to say yes. You just ask him to come into your heart right now, repent of the sin of your life, and ask Jesus to forgive you for that sin and to come overwhelm you with his presence. And so this morning, um, I want to tell you that Easter will feel different next week if you make this decision today. And for the rest of us that have made Jesus Christ Lord of our life, I want to encourage you that Easter next week doesn't feel the same. Because this is the chief miracle of all. He rose from the dead, and next week we get to celebrate this with all our hearts and all our lives and everything in us. And so make your preparations this week. Get the eggs and the candy and figure out what you're going to eat for dinner and, and do all those things. But don't miss the miracle. Don't miss the miracle. Because there is no eggs and candy and Easter bunny if there wasn't Jesus who rose from the grave and lives forever in us and we need to remember as people who follow Christ of what that's about and so if you want to make that decision for Jesus and right now if you are a follower of Christ I just want you to pray right now for those in this room that may not be because this is the biggest decision and the biggest moment of our lives if you are wanting to be a follower of Christ you've never made God Lord of your life during this worship song, I just want to ask you to come down and go to these tables here in the corner. Nothing weird or strange is going to happen. Just someone's going to be there to pray for you. They're going to give you a Bible. They're going to help you make your next step. Don't be embarrassed. We've all had a moment of doing this. I just want you to do that. You can just walk down the side aisle and go talk to someone. If you need prayer, you can go there too as well. But as we sing this song that says mountains are still being moved, strongholds are still being loosed. God, you are still doing miracles today. We're just going to celebrate as a congregation that we celebrate today the miracles, God, that you're doing. So let me just pray, and then Pastor Quint will take us away. Father, I thank you so much. God, I thank you so much that you are still um, calling Lazarus out of the tomb, God. And I pray for all the dead things in our lives tonight, God, this, this morning. I pray for all the things that, that you need to resurrect, Father, all the passion, the, the, the relationships, the dreams, the things that feel so dead inside of us, God. Would you just re- use your resurrection miracle working power? Would you do something incredible this morning? God, we believe you. We believe in you. We believe that you've done this. And God, we know the sacrifice you made to to give Lazarus life. And in that same way, you've made a huge sacrifice to give each of us life. And so God, we reflect on that. We thank you for the cross. And this morning, we ask God that we could be grateful people, that we could be grateful people for the salvation that you bring. And God, that we could trust you that without the miracles in the scripture, you are are just this wise and, and, and intelligent and kind man. But God, when we factor in those miracles, you are powerful. And God, we worship the miracle working Jesus this morning, the way making Jesus. And so God, we give you all the praise that we have in our bones. And God, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Mountains are still being moved. Strongholds are still being loose, and God, we believe it. 
Jesus, we know that this miracle series is over. We're going to look at some other scripture next week. But God, I'm just impressed, Lord, that the same anticipation and excitement, God, that we have for miracles during this series, Lord, is what you want us to live our Christian life with. So God, I pray that what we have learned, what we have seen, how we have experienced you in these last few weeks, God, would set the stage for this next season of our our walk with you, Lord. I pray, Father, that we could live in the resurrection promise and in the resurrection power, God, every day, each day. I pray for those in this room that made a decision to follow you today and those that are seeking a miracle, God. We, we, we wait on you. We know that you're coming. We know that you do what you promise, Lord, and we trust you. I, I pray for those who are weeping today, God, who have a, a deep sense of just pain in their lives because maybe of someone they've lost. And God, I pray that even today they would sense that you're weeping with them, God, that you are with them in every dark moment. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, for your resurrection. We're so excited to celebrate it with all that's in us next week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.